Welcome, everybody, to episode two of Gen Lockdown, right here on Rooster Team Radio. I am one of the compatible members of the Gen Lockdown program, Mark B. Donick, and I'm joined by our fellow pilots, Megan Salinas. Hey, everybody. Katie Cullen. Hi, all my buddies. And Stacey Shuttleworth. Hello, hello. We are here to talk about episode two, There's Always Tomorrow. Oh, boy, oh, boy. I want to get initial reactions. I know that this was the... Oh, it, it, this was paired with the pilot. I just watched it yesterday as of time of recording, so it's still pretty hot and fresh in my mind. But for everybody else who went through episode one, knowing what was happening in episode two, time to hear all of that stuff ruminated. I want to start with you, Stacy. Initial thoughts on episode two. We're just going for it. <laughs> uh, this was kind of a more comprehensive introduction into this world that we are getting into and i thought the the way they blended all of the technical information that we needed alongside a little bit of chase's interjected humor for that initial presentation which as off as it could have been in some cases was just well appreciated (laughs) you go chase yeah chase can do can do his thing and can do it no wrong or at least that's we don't know quite for sure yet uh what about you megan what did you think um i keep coming back to the idea of balance in this show because there's a lot of dark elements to it but then there you know at the same time it's also a show about giant fighting robots and so like getting the reveal about you know chase's actual state in this episode was really dark and really sad but then you you sort of counterweight that with the introduction of all the rest of our potential pilots and how fun and kind of goofy their interactions are. Um, but then you have this espionage element too. Like this is a really well balanced show, and uh, it's it is thoroughly impressive how it, how quickly it makes me go from feeling all the feels to to being excited and you know watching this action oriented show unfold. I would agree that, yeah, there's a really good balance in this show. I also want to say, pick up the phone, I called it with the tube thing. (laughs) Like, a literal tube. This show has so much heart in addition to its technology and its politics. And that's going to be a lot of what anchors it, a lot of what keeps us going with these characters. Is just how much they care and how much we care about them. I do appreciate the way things were set up that we had the comment about compatible pilots being less than one in a million and then we have this espionage plot and the you couldn't fake the test results so you're not him so if you remember the less than one in a million comment from 15 minutes prior then you can kind of see what happens when uh when the inevitable occurs and i love that they set that up and i love that payoff and i love the subversion of expectations because chase is spoiling for a fight that never happens like i think this this episode in particular was very well put together yeah it showed to me how much of a team dr weller and chase have become over the past 4 years and how they know where each one is going chase is uh, despite his situation is making the best out of it he's happy that he gets to see his friends again and i i also wanted to add that this episode shows what we're learning from other animated series like my hero academia because one of the things that my hero did for the shonen genre was introduce you to these ideas that everybody's been living with for the past 
however long anime has existed and shonen <laughs> anime has existed, but then they flip it on its ear. Like, oh, you want the tournament? We're doing it in season two, and it's going to be six episodes. Something like that. So when it comes to this, and when it came to all of the previews that we were privy to by going to RTX and et cetera, et cetera, we knew that something was going to happen with Sinclair. Some something, you know, the way that they presented him, the way that he's in the intro, etc., etc., and we got that right away. So now it's a question of, oh, we thought we had some sort of a thing that was going to be a little bit longer lasting, but boom, that's out of the way, and we're we're getting past the conventions that we've been familiar with for the past however long anime and mecha anime has existed and we're getting into an entirely new space and i said this in our discord i think i said it on twitter too that okay i'm in episode two <laughs> is 100 percent like i'm fe- now that i know what the world is like the intro doesn't seem as quote-unquote misleading even though as we'll talk about in our episode three, we we also have some soundtracks that are hip hop and and in a, a different vibe for different moments. But um, moving into this, we start the show with Chase being alive and figuring out all of the tech. We get Hall on. We get decanted human mind, digitized the human mind, and. Uh, what I wanted to ask of everybody of the the tech jargon that we're that we are given mindframe ebrain cyberdome all of all of Dr. Weller's sort of thesis on what the Holon program is the Genlock program is what stood out to you the most um it was definitely the you know j- the the sort of mindscape of like you upload your brain to uh, essentially a giant robot body um that i my immediate thought after seeing that that's how that worked was okay how evangelion is this because in in that particular mecha anime series um, the pilots were inside, but because their brains were hooked up to the robots in a particular way, when their robots got hit, they felt that pain. And I always thought that was a design flaw, personally. So my immediate thought was, when okay, if your brain is connected to this robot, if your robot gets hit with a missile, like, is your pilot going to experience that sensation? Or is it just like a, you know information that pops up on your monitor like oh you're receiving damage here i would hope that they wouldn't feel pain but i haven't seen anything in the series yet to contradict that that question i mean pain is the indicator to the body that something is wrong that you have been injured that something is not functioning how it's supposed to so to me as much as it sucks it would make sense if they could feel pain because then it would be like oh okay arm's not working good to know don't use it like it would be terrible but i think that's a side effect of you are essentially piloting this robot it is you have fun that said david tennant and technical jargon i'm i've watched enough doctor who to be used to him spouting a whole lot of technical jargon really fast and just kind of waiting for the two sentence summary at the end of the monologue because there will inevitably be one 
Because that's what happens. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think the groan from Mind Frame will uh, stay with me for a <laughs> while. That was just... Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> I mean... and. <laughs> But it's based around this extremely perilous concept, right? And we've seen it manifest in different ways in other mecha anime or shows. But this is kind of taking it even a step further. And it's one of the more terrifying, like, leaps of faith, I would imagine. I mean, you're basically jacking into the Matrix if the Matrix is a large robot. There, it seems like there's no buffer. There, It's not as open of an idea as the Matrix, where as long as you presumably just take this pill that's it you're in you're good but you have to be genetically compatible so hearing i i i'm a big fan of i I talked about in the last episode when it came to miranda we have somebody that has to be explained all of the stuff we have somebody that we can sort of relate to we have a relatable human into this world and when it comes to the Genlock program, we've got uh, our new pilots, Kazu, Valentina, and Cami, and to a certain extent, Sinclair, who are being taught all of this stuff as it happens. Now, I want everybody to put yourselves in their shoes. You're showing up at the anvil, and you're told that you are genetically able to sink in with a giant robot. And all the same stuff happens. You see, you somehow survive the thing with the Sinclair clone or copy, whatever, whatever he is, placeholder. And you have this opportunity. I want, I just might as well get to it. Would you take the leap and jump in as of episode two? Would you jump in? And I want to start with Katie. Uh, not first. <laughs> Someone else can go first. We did just see a guy get fried and didn't have because the, the the characters were not privy to the nice little conversation that Dr. Weller had in the elevator with Sinclair where he figured out that oh, this isn't actually Sinclair. This is some other dude that I don't know, looks like him. They switched out the photos. I've no idea. But this is someone else who took his place. They didn't have that conversation. They didn't have that knowledge base. They just saw some guy who was supposedly compatible strap in and get wrecked. So, yeah, no, it would be a... I would have no idea what my alternate options would be at this point, because putting yourselves in their shoes, this is a world that's been at war for God knows how long with technology that will literally eat you from the inside out. So, eh. Who knows what the other options are, but I would not be the first person going in. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't want to be the first. But also, I agree. I don't know that there's anything else that I would rather like be like, no, I'm going to go do this instead. At least it'll never be boring. (laughs) It's an ancient Chinese curse. May you live an interesting life. (laughs) For me, I can't speak to the characters and what they're going through, their, their experiences. You know, we don't know what they've been through. Uh, after years and years of war. However, I will tell you, there is no force on heaven or earth that would stop me from getting into a giant robot. (laughs) You tell me, Megan, that's your giant robot. It belongs to you. I'm getting in that robot. All right. Well, team, I I think we have our first. So now that we have confirmed that somebody would do it first, (laughs) I think the rest of us... The rest of us would get in shortly after, but 
that's that's a discussion for another day. Everybody brought up. I don't remember who it was. I think Megan, you brought up the idea of the suits being uh, of how how they would feel pain with all of this digital stuff, and I can't imagine that the what we saw from the suits from the the experimental suits i can't imagine them not having some sort of a haptic response and it being similar also though to a matrix where you see somebody on the table or an animus where you you feel certain pains by coming out of the chair I, I I really don't know but i i am concerned you know if you die in the mech you die for real <laughs> We've gotten a lot of a lot of fun references with this, and I'm sure that Katie and Megan, you both caught the red versus blue I reference. I laughed so hard and so loud and so long, I missed the next six lines of dialogue. <laughs> Had to go back and rewatch it to see what everyone else was saying because that slew me. They can't not follow up with one of life's great mysteries isn't it it's impossible it doesn't matter what franchise what type of a show if they don't do it's it's sort of like achievement hunter has these distinct response like call and response sort of things but it's not it's not anything super it it just happens it's just a, a, a basic human response of all of this Rooster Teeth has never forgotten where they came from, is the thing. They will never forget that Red versus Blue is how they got off the ground. And so I'm not surprised that they continue to pray, pay, whew, pay tribute to it in their other shows, because that's why they're here. I think it's also a sort of a thing of, who can we get to say it now? <laughs> <laughs> can we get Maisie Williams to say this? You know, I think we can. I was really like hoping how for, how high can this go? I was really hoping for a follow up of that doesn't seem physically possible at some point. <laughs> oh, I think we'll get there. I'd love it. I'd love it so much. That's exactly what Private Jimmy kept screaming. That doesn't seem physically possible. So we get the revelation pretty pretty quickly that Sinclair is a Union spy. We don't we we find out that he's some sort of not real person but he's a union that that physical person is a union spy and he used the coin to smuggle in a small presumably untraceable amount of the union nanotech was <laughs> was anybody surprised at this revelation stacy no cool <laughs> <laughs> megan i mean <laughs> Wow. Uh, I, I presume nobody was. Um, I I actually was uh, surprised by it a little bit um, because uh, they actually do a really decent job of Mr. A. It, it's fun watching the episode again, um, knowing that he's a spy the second time around because everything he says, you're like, oh, man, yeah, you, you slimy jerk. But um, in the, the, the scene before the reveal... Um, it cut, you know, they're, they're like, Hey, there's a possible intruder situation. And then it immediately cuts to Yaz, um, in the next moment. And I thought that was like it, uh, the second time around, I thought that was a really good sort of visual misdirect of like, Oh, you know, we're focusing on her. And even when the, the officers come in and they're like, you know, there's a spy, um, 
she's visually sort of separated from everybody else. So there is this kind of cool, I thought it was a cool misdirect. Um, But that being said, I think the reveal with the nanotech was probably the best thing about that scene. You know, he flips the coin up into the air and it doesn't come back down. That was just super cool. I think they did a really solid bait and switch with that. Because we, you know, the union are the bad guys, yada, yada, yada. And then it would make sense for them to look at this character who had come from being in the union and read them as a spy. And that's definitely how Yaz saw it. And I'm sure this isn't the first time that she's been accused of being a spy, working for the other side, whatever. So that's that sort of, here we go again. Look, I used to be with the union. Just talk to the doctor. He'll sort everything out. Uh, no, we we meant that guy. It, it was a really, really good bait and switch. And I thought it was really natural for the for the guards to just be like, you know what, take them both, we'll sort it out later. Like, priorities. I appreciate that. I liked what they did with Yaz because it wasn't just that scene. It was at the top of the show, too, where since the beginning, Yaz just doesn't seem interested. Like, she's there, but... Anytime they put attention on her and at at the top when the entire room goes up and looks at her, she's like, she, she has this body language of, please stop looking at me. Please go back to paying attention to the people up front. She's in the back of the room. It's it, it, they, they did a bit of a long play with her, a quote unquote long play for 50 minutes. But I, I totally agree. What did you think about this reveal? Uh, I mean, Stacey, you you just gave us a simple no, but this this reveal, this chase scene, what did you think? I mean, I thought the reveal itself was really solid. And I think that having, uh, like looking back also at the way that he acted, um, there, there was a weird dichotomy between is he acting like this because he's just trying to get everyone through the motions or is it his military background that's keeping him very in control and subdued? And then so when he breaks out and you find out that he is the spy, um, he, he opens up a lot more as far as being very stylish and very, you know, playing tricks with his nano. And he was a force to be reckoned with. And again, that nanotech is terrifying to see in action. And it almost really adds to them feeling kind of hopeless about all of this. And these new faces who are coming in here for the first time and being like, all right, maybe we get to make a difference. Oh, boy. I'm interested to find out, if we ever find out, if how much of this was Sinclair. If we meet Sinclair and he's like the doofy <laughs> son of a wealthy industrialist. And it's this guy in particular that took Sinclair's place that has all of these qualities. How much was column A? How much was column B? I'm really interested. Another thing I'm really interested in is as we're walking in, we see, and and I'm jumping all over the place, but that's fine. Walking in, when Cammy first sees all of the Holons, we see a blue one. So there there are ostensibly six Holons. Now, the question I'm going to pose to everybody, do you think we will see the blue Holon pilot by the end of season one. I don't know if necessarily by the end of season one, it's looking like we have eight episodes total this season, and I'm wondering exactly how much we're going to cover. I did like, I was talking with some of my friends who also watched the show, and one of them brought up the idea that Sinclair's mind is still out there somewhere because he died. His physical body got fried 
while he was in Genlock, while he was trying to connect. So there's a theory that he might still potentially be in the quote-unquote mindscape somewhere, and that's why they haven't removed him from the opening yet. There's, I kind of like that idea. I don't know if it's ever going to come to fruition. I don't know if it's going to get to the point where he'll be able to take over, said Blue Hollon. I don't know. But it makes sense for them to have that sixth one because they were expecting a sixth pilot before the bait-and-switch happened. So I'm sure at some point someone's going to wind up doing the thing. Well, so regarding to that that theory, Katie, I think that's interesting. And it'll be interesting to see if they go anywhere with that in the, like, under the frame of seeing can minds adapt? Can you become compatible with that mind frame, if you will? Like, what's the adaptation rate here? And are we going to see any progress in that? But as as far as get, like getting a new sixth pilot, I don't know if we'll have a solid. This is the person, and they are in that mech by the sixth episode or by the eighth episode. But I think we might have a solid kind of lead in the direction of where we're going and who might be taking that spot. It might be our sting at the end of the last episode. I I really love the idea of like a main antagonist being a literal ghost in the machine. That's kind of awesome. Like a ghost in the shell, if you will. Uh, that, that to me would be really cool. I kind of think, though, um, that, you know, since we have our opening and since, you know, we have our, our main sort of Sentai group sort of set, um, if someone else does... Okay, I have two thoughts. One just occurred to me. One is that I the Union gets a hold of that blue mech somehow, and they try to reverse engineer Genlock using that robot. Or two, uh, we we get one of our familiar faces who maybe wasn't necessarily 100% compatible. But after uh, my my point that I'm trying to make is I want I want Miranda to jump into a robot. <laughs> maybe not <laughs> maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But later. But the the implication um, with the the conversation with Migus is that like. If you're not already in this program, like, you're you're not compatible. Can we talk about that conversation with Migus? Can we just talk about Migus in this episode? He was wonderful. Yeah, he, he really stepped up as a character that I'm, I'm going to like, I think. And especially him being the main Holon technician when he doesn't know what the hell is going on anyway. I think that provides an opening for unconventional repairs unconventional add-ons and things like that talking about the blue mech similarly to megan i had a couple of extra thoughts that just occurred to me one i like the idea of of miranda and when it comes to the tests there are two criteria it's you have to be genetically compatible and you have to have the mental fortitude to be able to handle it there could be people that are genetically sound but there was something about their mind at the time of testing that wasn't compatible. The The mind can can change a little bit easier than genetics. So something that I would pose to the group, and this isn't necessarily just for Miranda, but if similarly to Chase, going through a trauma and coming out the other side can sort sort of recalibrate the mind to be compatible. So I think that there's a chance of somebody to 
step in that way. Or it could be our replacement mech. <laughs> it could be if somebody goes down or if Chase somehow gets disconnected from something, he gets uploaded into the blue one temporarily. Maybe. Two thoughts that I had. But, um, oh, we also f- we found out that Caliban is... Did any, does anybody know what the Caliban references to? Yeah, it's uh, William Shakespeare's The Tempest. Caliban was a resident of the island that Prospero and his daughter landed on, and he was... It's It's been a chunk of time since I have read The Tempest. He was not portrayed as a very good character. He was actually a rearrangement of the word cannibal. But... He also got enslaved to do all of Prospero's heavy lifting. So, it's a little... Yeah, there's some interesting implications there with that name uh, choice. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those like, all right, it's interesting, and there's a little Easter egg there, and it's also like, why on God's green earth of all things, Caliban? Come on. Sounds pretty cool. <laughs> no, I can't argue with that. <laughs> Before we continue with the conversation, wanted to take this opportunity to thank everybody who's listening to us on the podcast landscape. If you're listening to us on your podcast provider of choice, thank you. We really appreciate it. If you're listening to us on Anchor, there's actually a button that you can click on that act that shows all of the different podcast platforms we're on. Go ahead, click through that, subscribe there, or just follow along through Anchor. Now, we are an independent program, so one of the things that keeps us going is the sponsor that plays at the top of the show, and if you like what you're hearing, you want to support us, you want us to get a little bit closer to on camera, live, having a studio, whatever that is, uh, we highly recommend, or if you really want to help us, I'll say, um, click through to our anchor link and uh, sign up for a monthly donation. There is a dollar, five dollar, and ten dollar options, but it goes to the team and it helps support us and it might help us get a little bit closer to RTX or RTX London or rtx australia wherever they end up like that would be a dream if we could expense all of us to uh one of the foreign rtx's i think that would be fun as hell but uh at at the very least you listening is a huge help but we would also love it if you could go on and share the show with your friends even an extra listen is uh, somebody that's helping grow the family. So we would appreciate it if you did that. And also, if you could give us a review on your podcast platform of choice and let us know that you did so that we can find it and look for it because that helps us go up in the standings and makes us easier to find. And other than that, we have one other sponsor. Katie, go ahead and take it away. Rooster Team Radio is sponsored by Fred's BS. Fred's and spreads by Fred. Fred's BS is an L.A. local one-man baked goods business that offers unique flavors in small batches. Whether you're looking for homemade jams, brownies, blondies, or brown sugar buddies, the best cookies you've ever had, Fred's BS can provide. All products are made in small batches with fresh ingredients. Nothing is ever frozen. Fred provides a plethora of flavors that can't be found in stores, like the aforementioned brown sugar buddies or his strawberry peach paradise sunrise jam. Also, if you're L.A. local, you can choose pickup instead of delivery and get your goods even sooner. Head to fredsbs.com and use the coupon code THEROOSTERTEAM for 20% off your entire order. That's fredsbs.com and coupon code THEROOSTERTEAM. Fred's BS, treat yourself because you deserve it. And we do have a little bit of seasonal news for Fred's BS. He has strawberry blondies made for Valentine's Day, and there will also be a Valentine's Day sale. So keep an eye out for that on the site. And does our, does our code work on top of that as well? Yes. Hell 
to the yes. Cool, cool, cool. So uh, thank you to everybody who's listening. Thank you to Fred for helping support the show. As sort of the last major thing that I have anyway, I wanted to talk about our recruits. We've talked about quote-unquote Sinclair. Let's go back. Who, who do we start with? Let's start with, the I, I suppose, the first person we hear, Cammy. I want to know everybody's thoughts on Cammy. I'll start with Megan here. Oh, my God. She's the best, and I love her. <laughs> Um, she she makes a really charming introduction. She's clearly the the youngest out of all the recruits, or maybe if not the youngest, like the most immature. Um, but she's and, and you know a lot of this is casting. The fact that they got Maisie Williams to to play this character was perfect. It was spot on. Um, but yeah, I really liked her introduction. Um, she's cute and sarcastic and. Uh, just all sorts of adorable. She's tiny and adorable, and I love her. She just, she's great. She's great. I adore her. I need more of her in my life. I am really glad she's in this series. And she is our resident techie, evidently, and we could all use one of those in the party. The Wunderkind. <laughs> Who an absolutely precious little angry child she is. <laughs> <laughs> she's Scottish. <laughs> oh, just... Uh, like stepping in and seeing things through her point of view and hearing her takes on her surroundings is just one of the delights so far <laughs> and even just ooh big toys super excited to cammy i will say this we've only had cammy for about a week but if anything happened to her i would kill everyone in this room and then myself <laughs> sinclair tried yeah. he only he only succeeded on the killing himself part son of a bitch <laughs> but uh how about let's move on to uh kazu well, let's start with Katie. What do you think of Kazu? I like this ridiculous nerd. I just, I do. He's fun. He's, I'm gonna have more to say about him next episode because I think that's when we get a lot more development for him. But I appreciate this mix of characters. I appreciate that he is shaping up to be our impulsive bruiser. And then we get to see his mech in the opening and it looks like a goddamn tank. I love it. I think it's so interesting to see kind of, he's kind of got this hard outer shell, but the first glimpse we get of him is him sleeping on this transport and literally falling over and interrupting, <laughs> interrupting his like his crew. <laughs> and so it sets up an interesting kind of dichotomy for what kind of a character he's going to be. He's, he, his first line is, are we there yet? Relatable. <laughs> I, I think relatable is the key word. Um, and maybe maybe I'm projecting a little bit, but to me, he seems to be like the type of character, like late 20s, maybe early 30s, where he's just trying his best. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not doing great, but he's just trying his best. <laughs> and I really feel for him in that regard. <laughs> well, like we said, we got some of his background and he got super demoted within his unit he the the he states some of us came from or halfway around the world i imagine he was either the first person picked up or he's had the longest trip so him being asleep makes a lot of sense we don't know how long he was trying to stay awake but oh i love this boy what a what a magical <laughs> creature to to kazu i'd say this I've only had Kazu for about a week, but if anything <laughs> happened to him, I would kill everyone in this room and then myself. 
here, here. Uh, I, I can't make the Sinclair joke twice in a row. You're killing me, Mark. I, I will. <laughs> I, <laughs> I will say the the one thing. Um, I think that's more telling necessarily than than a lot of what we see in the actual episode is in the opening. Yeah, his mech is there. It's big and it's powerful. And Val just steps on it in the most cartoonishly <laughs> anime way. And I feel like that more than anything is indicative of what their relationship is going to be like. Oh, let's be real. I'm sure he loves being stepped on by Val. Yeah, we'll get there maybe. <laughs> but uh, my my speaking of Val, the fact that we see how everybody comes to understand Kazu is presumably everybody has access to this translator tech that just translates everything everybody says, so nobody feels left out. Nobody has to go through a translator, and all of the acting and reacting is 100% natural and I adore that. I want to talk about uh, we're going to circle back around to Kazu when we talk about the next episode because there's a lot of I love the contrasting style of seiyu versus voice acting is a very interesting dichotomy that changes up the rhythm of the entire show. But speaking of Valentina, let's talk about Valentina. Megan, what do you think of Valentina? <laughs> Not Val. Valentina. She, yeah, we're not there yet. <laughs> she doesn't seem particularly pleased to be here. Um, it like first of all, her design is almost hypnotic. She is, uh, like fan. Like I enjoy really looking at her, and I mean that from a character design standpoint, not from the I enjoy her stepping on me standpoint. But no, the like I love her hair. Her her outfit is awesome. Her cool face tattoo is just awesome like visually speaking we gleam a lot from this character's sense of style just by looking at her but her demeanor is so cool and i don't want to say like dismissive but like it's it seems very cool and very like kind of like i'm sort of above whatever's going on here i'm just kind of along for the ride she is angry eastern european sombra and i am here for it capital H here for it. I am so excited for her. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Just style wise, she is absolutely eye catching. She is so stunning and just like fascinating to look at all of the care that clearly went into every aspect of her appearance. And yes, it may in part be because she reminds me very heavily of Sombra who is like style just great style choices all around and so far her attitude i think is going to make for one of the most interesting interactions with this whole genlock program so i'm looking forward to seeing how she reacts to things specifically one of my favorite things about valentina and everybody brought up the face paint is that it's not just a stylistic choice when it comes to cyberpunk and futuristic surveillance, what an, an anti-surveillance measure is ch changing your face so that people can't recognize you. And one of the easiest ways to do that is via face paint. So this, I think, goes along with Valentina being our spot, not necessarily our spy, but our sniper, our Sombra, our whatever you want to call her. And the little attention to detail is ugh, it's so good and I, I hope more people can pick up on stuff like that but I guess the only other thing that 
I would have to say about Valentina is if that I've only had her for one week, but if anything happened to her, I would kill everyone in this room and then myself. That's the comedy rule of threes. I'm done. So <laughs> you did it. Yep, made it through. That's so I was like, just hang on a minute. This joke's got a punchline. Is is there anything else that anybody wanted to mention that stood out to them from episode two? I do. Again, I love Migas. I want to talk about Migas. I adore this ridiculous boy. And not just because Miles voices him, but just as a character in general, we talk about the heart of the series. He is going to be a big part of that. And again, the series very much makes a point of it's not just our five pilots who are important. It's everyone. So him, that conversation with Yaz about, I can have a beer with him? Well, you'll need to put it in his tank. You guys have tanks too? He's really good comedic relief. But also, he, you know, does a little of the melodrama. Can we do regeneration? Can we do this? Is he always going to be like this? But also still treats him, uh, treats Chase the same. Normalizes what he's going through. And just that little bit of thank you from Dr. Weller, I think, is a huge, huge words. Megus is good and we need to keep him. I already did the joke three times, so I can't do it again. But what I wanted to... (laughs) He's my special boy. You You, you bring up a very, very good point. When we hear about Chase, we hear that he can't regenerate due to the union tech, but that possibility is there somehow. And I... it established a goal for the audience of, man, I want to see him get out of that tube and walk around with his friends again and play games again and all of that stuff. So it, without saying, hey, we're working on this, it gave everybody the idea and the hope that one day Chase will get out of that tube and using Migus as the 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 person to lead that charge. Everybody wants to play video games with their friends again, have a beer with their friends again, et cetera, et cetera, was an amazing choice. We might as well go around. A- anybody else's thoughts about Migus, uh, Stacy? I like the role that he stepped into play um, and the character that they've introduced us to as this very knowledgeable in his field and clearly trusted to deal with all of this stuff. I mean, Weller dumps all of this information on him but doesn't bat an eye that he's not going to be able to do it so he clearly and i assume he gets that information from chase that he's very competent even if he has this very silly side and i think it was really important that he was the first one to step up and kind of go see chase and interact with him like a normal person because everyone else was so shocked kind of in that briefing room that Chase puts on this front and seems very confident and very sure of his place. But you imagine that's not entirely true. So Migas being the person to reach out was a very important and good moment. And it it goes along with the series idea of inclusion, whether it's culturally or physically. Being able to see everybody interact like normal people, I know is one of the show's goals is to sort of normalize all of this and it's 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 a message worth getting out there and and i i love the interaction too what about you megan yeah i i not to not to reiterate too many points but yeah the he's he's such a sweet boy i'm always super fond of mechanic characters especially in series like this where the technology is such a heavy aspect of the world building so I always have a fondness for mechanic characters. And so seeing uh, a cool, competent 
character like this, but also like having him do some silly one-liners. It's it's a lot of fun, but as as we keep falling back on, like there's also a lot of heart in this moment too. Um, he's a fun character to watch, but oh man, the the humanity that both he and Miranda, I think, are bringing to the the table for this show, I think says a lot. Agreed. And you, you bring up mechanic characters. One, I, I want to use a concept from professional wrestling here. There's There are different definitions for types of workers and performers. And there is a, and it's, I suppose it's kind of like classes if you refer to it as like an adventure game. There is a mechanic class that can go in there and does the moves well, makes them look good, and makes their opponent look really good so that the other characters can shine. And I think that Migus, without pulling the the lead too much here, is going to be that person that can allow a lot of the other people to shine just by his very nature. I think so too. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's go around here. Final thoughts, episode two, Genlock. I feel like we're finally starting to get the ball rolling for this series. That episode one was a lot of world building, our inciting incident, and the introduction to our mechs. I feel like here we're getting more character introductions. We're getting the risky side of things. We're, I feel like we've well and truly gotten started this episode. I think it was well balanced. I think it was extremely entertaining. And why is this season only eight episodes? I need like 15 at least. Yeah, I like now. So the first episode really set us up with how the stakes were globally and just how much trouble was being spread around. And this episode kind of introduced us to the personal stakes, how high risk this was for our little core of pilots and we're bringing it so we're bringing it back into them because we are going to have to get them in those mechs right <laughs> if the intro tells us anything they're gonna have to get in the damn robot uh, megan <laughs> oh no mark <laughs> <laughs> we were all thinking That's it it's true <laughs> <laughs> uh i i think this episode had a little bit of everything it has um, some really engaging interpersonal drama, like that moment where Miranda just walks through Chase. Uh, like, oh man, it was wringing my heart. Um, it has, uh, it's got a little bit of mystery. It's got some cool technology that it's introducing the audience to. It has this really cool action espionage sequence that feels like, you know, it, it would be right out of a, a Marvel movie like 50 years in the future. It had a hallway fight, <laughs> which I'm all about those hallway fights. But I also appreciate whenever um, a piece of media can teach me something because it actually made me look up the word neuroplasticity because that's something that Dr. Weller um, said was like a key factor in being Genlock compatible. And uh, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, according to Wikipedia, it's the ability of the brain to change throughout an individual's life. Uh, uh, For example, brain activity associated with a giving function that can be transferred to a different location. Um, And it's talking, uh, there's a little bit more here about how uh, the developing brain exhibits a higher degree of plasticity than the adult brain. Um, but that it can change throughout an adult's life as well. So going back to Mark's theory about Miranda, you know, her her brain being in a different place than, you know, it was when she was initially tested, I'm like, ooh, maybe. <laughs> and 
ultimately, I think there's going to be a lot of change. People are going to see the Holons and see what they're capable of and hopefully see them turn the tides and that's going to start changing hearts and minds. Similarly to what we saw in Nomad of Nowhere and uh, something that I want to bring up is something in our Discord that was dropped in. If you want to join our Discord, the link's down below. A a post hit Tumblr, which I, I'm pretty sure it was today, by a user named uh, Misrol, and I'm just going to read it verbatim. This is an appreciation post for Rooster Teeth and their brand of what can be only called, quote, aggressive optimism. Ruby, Nomad of Nowhere, Genlock, all of them have that same core, that same stubborn, defiant, radiant flame of hope. Yes, people are screwed up. And yes, the world is not a fairy tale. But damn if it's not worth fighting to make things better. Don't get me wrong. Dark and grim stories can be awesome. But cynicism? Apathy? Nah, man. Give me that hope. And one of the hashtags is hope punk, which... I like a lot. Aww. And I, hope punk is a pretty dang good movement. Yeah. And we aggressively hope for things to get better. And th- both, I think this show in world and this show being presented shows a lot of what the world can be and it makes the world better. So this was a, this is a wonderful episode to have everybody introduced with. And I'm excited. We're all excited to see what comes next when it when it comes to Genlock. And that'll do it for this episode of Gen Lock Down. We appreciate you listening. Thank you so much for coming by. But before we go, uh, let the fine folks know where they can find you online. Let's start with Stacy. I'm Stacey Shuttleworth. You can find me online at Stacy Shuttles. You can also find me on Instagram over at Nerds Making Stuff, where I make pieces of fandom-inspired jewelry. And I'm Megan Salinas. You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Menguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. I'm Katie Cullen. You can follow me all over the social medias as well as on YouTube and Twitch at Kiaxet. That is K-I-A-X-E-T. If you like reaction videos to these episodes, they live on that channel. And I'm the Internet's Mark Bidonica. You can find me on Twitter at Mark Bidonica. You can find the team at The Rooster Team. You can find us at tpublic.com slash The Rooster Team. And make sure you're following us wherever you're listening. And we'd really appreciate it. That'll do it for this episode of Gen Lockdown. We will see you next time.